Today, we discuss some positive breaking news that displays how the pro-life movement is gaining momentum and taking ground. All of this and more on another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Refining Politics and Culture, where we explore what it looks like together to have vitally important political, cultural, and faith conversations, all with the ultimate goal of exuding truth and love, conviction and grace in our discourse. Happy Thursday, everyone. Hope and pray you've had a fantastic week. Guys, we have some awesome news to get into today. I'm fired up. Cannot wait to share with you guys. But before we do that, just want to say thank you so much for being on this journey with me. Whether this is your 101st episode and you've been on the journey since the beginning, or if this is your first ever episode, I pray that Refining Politics and Culture continues to be a helpful resource and a blessing for you. If you enjoy the show, make sure that you share the show with your community. Subscribe to the show on the podcast provider of your choice. Let's get into it. Again, guys, I'm fired up because there's an issue that I am deeply passionate about, and we're starting to take some ground, serious ground. This is the pro-life movement, standing for the lives of the unborn. And so we've got two awesome stories I want to read you this morning. And these are, these are breaking news stories from this week. The first I want to read, uh, this is a report by Nancy Flanders with Live Action. Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban to be heard by Supreme Court. The Supreme Court of the United States announced on Monday that it will hear the case surrounding Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban known as the Gestational Age Act, or HB 1510. The case that's heading to the Supreme Court, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, gives Supreme Court the opportunity to reconsider Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court ruling that legalized abortion in the United States in 1973, as well as, this is big too, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the 1992 Supreme Court case that affirmed Roe v. Wade and set viability as the standard for when abortion can and cannot be restricted. We're going to talk about that word this morning, viability. Arguments will likely be heard in the fall of 2021. It's looking like October. And a decision on the case is expected by the summer of 22. This will be the first case focused on abortion limits since the appointments of three conservative-leaning judges to the court. The case will determine whether pre-viability restrictions on abortions are constitutional. Mississippi's Gestational Age Act passed in 2018, and it prohibits abortions after 15 weeks. So quick pause. The state of Mississippi introduced the Gestational Age Act. It passed and essentially says, after 15 weeks, no more abortions. Um, So they're they're clamping down and trying to get that, uh, that restrictive limit. Closer and closer to, obviously, eventually banning abortion outright, um, which is the ultimate goal. And it should be the ultimate goal. And I'm so grateful that Mississippi's playing offense here. I think more states that have red legislatures at the moment need to follow suit. The Jackson Women's Health Organization, the only abortion business in the state, immediately filed suit against the state and the federal district court struck down the law. After an appeal, the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals agreed with the district court that the law was unconstitutional because it restricted abortion prior to viability. Um, And I'm going to talk a lot about viability today because the abortion advocates argument that you should be able to abort before a subjective point of viability um, is is 
really ridiculous. But this is the precedent that was set in, in uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey. And so the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has the backing, quote unquote, from the Planned Parenthood v. Casey case to say a state cannot ban abortions before the point of viability, which is subjectively anywhere from 22 to 24 weeks. That's kind of how that that timeline evolved. Anyways, I want to keep reading here. Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch, the first female attorney general in the state, asked the Supreme Court in June 2020 to take up the 15-week abortion ban appeal. In October of 2020, the court said it would consider hearing the case. So that was obviously a big piece of news back in the fall that they would consider taking this case. Um, And that was at the same time, obviously, that Amy Coney Barrett was being introduced to the court and was being confirmed um, just before the election in the fall. And so you're seeing this this move toward um, originalist judges on the on the uh, justices on the U.S. Supreme Court that understand that abortion is not a constitutional right. Planned Parenthood v. Casey was a flawed decision. Roe v. Wade was a flawed decision. And so I'm praying that the Supreme Court is setting up here for something really, really special. This is the most important abortion-related case in a very long time, said live-action founder and president Lila Rose. We are long overdue for the Supreme Court to revisit Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, cases that have cases that have led to the deaths of over 60 million innocent children and led many women and men to lifelong regret. And I just I want to pause because, um, dang, that's a big number. Cases that have led to the deaths of over 60 million innocent children and led many women and men to lifelong regret. 60 million have died since 1973. So, sorry, I get, I'm getting a bit emotional, but it's, it's time. It is so time that we have righteous justices stand up and say, not anymore. This is not constitutional. It was never constitutional. It has been the largest genocide in human history that's taken place legally in the United States since 1973. It's a stain on our nation, but I'm praying that we're turning a corner here. I'm praying that there's this turning point in our nation where we're starting to see some really positive momentum, these states standing up and finally playing offense and a Supreme Court that's in position. I don't want to put too much hopes in, in, in people, but I'm praying that our Supreme Court is in a position, the best position it's been in since 1973, to finally recognize what should be blatantly obvious, that it is not constitutional to kill an innocent child. And so, anyways, I'm going to keep reading here, but I'm again, I'm getting fired up because this is big news this week. They must recognize that the arbitrary line of viability is an ever-changing goalpost as science and technology advance, and a child's ability to survive outside the womb should not determine his or her humanity or right not to be murdered in a violent abortion. Again, I'm going to come back and talk about viability in a minute. When asked about the age of viability during the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Government Reforms Proceedings in 2019, Planned Parenthood abortionist Colleen McNicholas tried to avoid answering but eventually confessed that, to an abortionist, quote, viability does not necessarily depend on gestational age. So viability is a complicated medical construct. There is no particular gestational age, McNicholas said. There are some pregnancies in which a fetus will never be viable. There are a number of different factors that we think about when we're considering if a pregnancy is or isn't viable. So again, that was uh, Colleen McNicholas, who was a Planned Parenthood abortionist. 
So essentially, the abortion industry ignores the rules set by the Supreme Court concerning viability. And despite the current medical consensus that a preborn child is considered viable somewhere between 22 and 24 weeks, has created its own flawed standards in determining whether or not a preborn child is, quote, viable. At 15 weeks, a preborn child has a beating heart, growing teeth, fingers, toes. She can make complex expressions and responds to touch. And babies born as young as 21 weeks are capable of surviving outside the womb with medical intervention. The Gestational Age Act states that the legislature's reasoning behind choosing 15 weeks as the age for the ban is that most abortions at this age and beyond are carried out using dilation and evacuation or D&E abortion, which involves tearing a preborn child's arms and legs from her torso before crushing her skull. What's shocking and honestly heartbreaking is to watch how much Satan has influenced society and deceived people into believing that this is something that should actually happen more. There are people that are fighting right now for more dilation and evacuation abortions, for more abortions in general, which is heartbreaking. But I want to read you this procedure again. This dilation and evacuation abortion involves tearing a preborn child's arms and legs from her torso before crushing her skull. There are people that have been so deceived into believing that that's something that should happen more. It's heartbreaking. So much so to where they're willing to spend their lives fighting for it to happen more. All in the name of female empowerment, which was absolutely insane. What happens if that girl is, uh, the baby in the womb is a girl? What happened to her female empowerment? What happened to her women's rights? What happens to her right to life? Her right to choose, her right to live, her right for freedom. So it's just, it's heartbreaking. Um, the, the second reason for choosing 15 weeks is that with increased gestational age, a woman's risk for experiencing abortion complications such as hemorrhaging and death increases. So Mississippi essentially said, hey, no more D&E abortions. And also, if you actually care about women you and the mothers, you would recognize that the women's risk severely heightens for experiencing abortion complications such as hemorrhaging and death after 15 weeks. So this should be a no-brainer, right? And Mississippi is trying to move closer and closer to recognizing what should be blatantly obvious that it is not constitutional and it should certainly not be legal to abort an innocent child. Every child, including a baby pre-viability, quote unquote, should be protected from the horrors of abortion and the abortion industry, said Lila Rose. A 15-week-old baby has a face, fingernails, eyelashes, a heartbeat, brain waves. The Supreme Court should grant equal protection under the law to all humans, even from the very beginning of every human's life. Amen. All right, few thoughts on this. First off, I love states like Mississippi that are playing offense on this issue, and it is about time. Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, you have these states that are willing to stand up and finally fight for this issue. We have been wet fish for far too long related to standing up for the lives of the most vulnerable. So it's beyond time. And I'm really thankful. I'm seeing people grow spines, and it's inspiring. You know, and I give a lot of credit to Trump for this. He, in policy, was the most pro-life president we've had since before Roe v. Wade. I mean, just hands down, objectively, that's true. His policy agenda set a new precedent for what it means to be pro-life and to actually advocate for the lives of the unborn. One perfect. I think we can do even more. But at the end of the day, I have witnessed over the last four or five years, Republican governors, Republican senators, Republican House members, city council members finally growing a spine and standing up and saying enough is enough. It is well past time. The science is there. We understand now the horrors of the in its fullness of what's been going on since 1973. There are a lot of us that have understood that a lot longer. But at the end of the day, I'm just thankful that we're finally taking some ground. Offense is being played, and I love it. My second thought is this. The viability argument is such a tiresome one. 
Because here's the thing. Here's what abortion activists are saying when they say that we should be able to abort before the point of viability, which is essentially what the people arguing against this law in Mississippi are arguing for. They're arguing that a person is not a person until they are viable. We should not recognize equal protections under the law until someone is viable. That is their argument. Here's the problem with that argument. There's a million problems with the argument. But here's a, a massive glaring one. What about the people on life support? What about the people on breathing tubes? What about the people that can't live right now without machines helping keep them alive? Are They're not viable, technically. They're not viable on their own without assistance keeping them alive. Do you just pull the plug? Is, is everyone stripped of their equal protections under the law when they're in a coma? Is everyone stripped of their equal protections under the law when they're on a breathing tube? If you pull out the breathing tube, they'll probably die. They're not viable. So are they not a person anymore? That's what these pro-abortion activists are saying. They're saying that a person is not a person until it's viable. Because by the way, the heartbeat starts at three weeks. So they've had a heartbeat. They are well alive. Again, I described to you the full features of these children at 15 weeks old. Face, fingernails, eyelashes, heartbeat, brain waves. They have thoughts. And you're telling me that just because they can't live outside the womb at that point, that they're not a person? Again, what, what do you do with the people that are 60 years old and are not technically viable? Or do you just kill them? Do we have the right to just euthanize anyone that's in a momentary state of not being viable? That's ridiculous. It's a crazy argument. And I'm getting fired up and passionate about this because I'm, I'm just blown away that we've been deceived to this degree to where we, we would even think that this is acceptable. And so I, I've just always had a really hard time with that viability argument because I just think it is such a weak one. Do people lose their rights when they're not able to live unassisted? Well, most common sense people would say no. Well, then why should that be any different for the life of an unborn child? They are well alive, and it's time we recognize that. Also, another argument that really frustrates me, or another, another component of this argument that really frustrates me is the same people that are like, no, 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 we can abort until it's viable. That's not a problem. The baby's not really alive. It's just a clump of cells with a heartbeat and thoughts and brainwaves and all these different things, but they don't recognize that. They don't want to tell you that. So they'll say it's just a clump of cells until all of a sudden it's not. That's the, the pro-abortion activist um, mindset on these things. The other thing that I was thinking about this morning that was, that was kind of frustrating, um, honestly, <laughs> I, I was thinking there's this video, there's this guy named Will Witt who does these man on the street interviews. He goes and he interviews people. And, and one of the things that he did for Prager University, which is an awesome conservative organization that does a lot of educational curriculum and content, uh, Will Witt was interviewing people in downtown LA, asking them if they would sign a petition to save turtle eggs. So he had this little petition and he's like, save the unborn turtles. Like, we want to we want to make sure that the unborn turtles are protected and we want to make sure that the turtle eggs are fought for and that we have regulations in place to make sure that you can't kill the unborn turtles. Right. So all these people in L.A. are lining up to sign this petition. Of course, I'll advocate for that. Of course. Of course. I'm in. Of course. Save the turtles. He then asks, OK, great. Will you also sign this petition to protect the lives of unborn children? Will you sign this petition to protect the lives of unborn babies that are fully alive? They've got their heartbeat. They've got their fingernails. They've got their eyes. They've got their DNA. They've got their brain waves. They've got their heart pumping. Will you advocate for their life as well? No, 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 no. I'm pro-choice. No, no, no. Women's power. Women empowerment. Her body, her choice. I mean, I'm like, are you kidding? Are you hearing ourselves? This, this is insane. We are watching deception on a level that is... is um, Honestly, reaching heights previously unknown to mankind. This is, this is absolutely absurd. You'll advocate for the baby turtles. You'll advocate for the blue-footed pygmy bird eggs in the middle of the desert that they would be protected. 
but you won't advocate for the life of a person who is alive. I, I just, I, 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 I don't know. I'm going to move on. <laughs> uh, I'm going to end with some happiness here and saying that there's a real ch- chance that this could overturn Roe v. Wade. So let's start praying. This could be big. What a turning point moment in our country that would be if after these decades we would finally recognize the lives of the most vulnerable and we would fight to protect them. Amen. That's what I'm praying for. And I'll keep you guys updated on this specific Supreme Court case. I want to tell you one more story out of Texas. This is Governor Abbott. And he signed a heartbeat bill allowing Texans to sue abortion providers. This is the Daily Wire reporting. Governor Greg Abbott from Texas signed an abortion law Wednesday morning that will prohibit Texas clinics from performing or inducing abortions once a fetal heartbeat has been detected and open up abortion providers to lawsuits. According to the Texas Tribune, the law contains a, quote, first of its kind legal provision that allows private citizens to file civil suits against abortion clinics over alleged violations instead of relying on the state to enforce the ban. It will go into effect in September. Listen to this. It's a very unique law, and it's a very clever law. Josh Blackman, a constitutional law professor at South Texas College of Law, Houston, told the Tribune. Planned Parenthood can't go to court and sue Attorney General Ken Paxton like they usually would because he has no role in enforcing the statute. They have to basically sit and wait to be sued. A group of 200 physicians in an open letter voiced opposition to the bill last month saying it would open them up to frivolous lawsuits, reports, or orders. Well, maybe don't abort kids. Regardless of our personal beliefs about abortion, as licensed physicians in Texas, we implore you to not weaponize the judicial branch against us to make a political point, wrote the physicians. Under the new law, formerly called Texas Bill SB8, physicians must test for a fetal heartbeat prior to an abortion and, quote, may not knowingly perform or induce an abortion on a pregnant woman if the physician detected a fetal heartbeat for the unborn child. Abbott, a Republican, said Wednesday that the abortion law will ensure, quote, the life of every unborn child who has a heartbeat will be saved from the ravages of abortion. Our creator endowed us with the right to life, and yet millions of children lose their right to life every year because of abortion. In Texas, we work to save those lives, and that's exactly what the Texas legislature did this session. They worked together on a bipartisan basis to pass a bill, said Abbott during remarks at a Wednesday bill signing. Diana Gomez, advocacy manager at Progress Texas, told CNN that the law, quote, contains some of the most extreme abortion restrictions in the country. Yes, it does. And thank goodness. The Planned Parenthood Action Fund has called the law dangerous and vowed to fight it. So I want to end with this. Obviously, I love this law. Um, I think that this is the exact sort of clever action we need playing offense. And I'm, I'm thankful for Governor Abbott in Texas. I'm thankful for this legislature that's willing to stand for life. I want to read you a Bible verse. This is Matthew 10, 16. It's Jesus talking to his disciples and he's encouraging them about ministry. So this is, um, this is an encouragement from Jesus toward his followers. So true for you and me here. Behold, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. As shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So be pure in our intentions, but be shrewd in our execution. What does shrewd mean? Well, having or showing a clever awareness or resourcefulness, especially in practical matters. Or marked by artful and cunning practices, tricky, sharp, penetrating. That is shrewd. Jesus is encouraging his disciples here to be clever about how they engage with the world, to be really innocent and pure in their intentions, but play offense. Get out there and be shrewd as snakes. Don't just sit on your hands and act like wet fish and say, oh, woe is me. We can't do anything. I guess we'll just wait until one day we're in heaven and all of our problems are solved. No, go out there. Jesus is sending us out 
as sheep among wolves. There's a real opportunity here to make massive changes in a sea of wolves. And Governor Greg Abbott exemplified this in an awesome manner along with this legislature in Texas this past week. Innocent in the intentions, protecting what Jesus fought for, the lives of the vulnerable. And how does he do it? Well, in a very unique, very clever, very cunning way that plan, that provides a hurdle that Planned Parenthood has never had to deal with before. So I'm just so thankful. This is the type of clever offense that we need to be playing. And by the way, Texas is the second largest state in the entire country, population and area. So the fact that Texas is doing it, hopefully this sets a new precedent. If the second largest state in the country can do this, come on, let's go. Other states, follow along. This is the type of action that we need. So bottom line, the pro-life movement's playing offense, and I love it. I'm fired up this morning. I'm excited about the good news that's taking place amidst the sea of craziness that's also taking place. But I'm praying for the Supreme Court as they prepare to hear arguments. I'm praying for them as they ultimately prepare to rule next summer. And I'm praying that this momentum continues to build. We're going in the right direction here when it comes to this pro-life movement, standing up, taking a stand. And you can almost feel that momentum um, start to actually make a, a real tangible difference and lead to some lasting change. And so with all that said, friends, that's going to be the end of the episode today. I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to speak with you all about this very important issue today of standing for the lives of the most vulnerable. And I pray that you have a fantastic weekend. As always, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you share the show with your community. Subscribe to the show on the podcast provider of your choice. If you haven't caught up on the last few episodes, make sure you do that. You can hear all about the Israel-Gaza conflict. And there's a lot of important information there that it's it's imperative that we understand because the mainstream media is just lying out the wazoo about what's going on right now. And so equip yourself with truth. Continue to do that. As always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me on my website, refiningpoliticsandculture.com. You can send me an email there. You can engage with other aspects of the content there as well. With all that said, friends, have a great weekend. I will talk to you soon. This has been another episode of Refining Politics and Culture with Michael Seifert.